From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Today is Election Day in Juneau. One of the vote centers, City Hall Assembly Chambers on 155 South Surge Street, will be open today from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. The other vote centers at the Mendenhall Valley Public Library on 3025 Diamond Park Loop. That will also be open today from 7 in the morning to 8 p.m. Secure drop boxes are located at the Ock Bay Statter Harbor Boat Launch parking lot at 11 801 Glacier Highway or the Douglas Library on 1016 3rd Street. There are three running unopposed in the assembly race, incumbents Carol Treem, Wade Bryson, and Greg Smith. There are two running unopposed in the school board race, incumbents Emil Mackey and Dee Dee Sorensen. There are four ballot questions. Proposition 1 asks voters whether to approve a bond package for a new city hall at 450 Whittier Street. Prop 2 asks whether to approve bonding to fund maintenance and improvements to Juno's trails and parks. Prop 3 asks whether the city will extend its temporary 1% sales tax. And Prop 4 is asking Juno voters on whether to repeal the city's mandatory disclosure ordinance. A yes vote would repeal disclosures. A no vote would keep them in place. Capital City Fire and Rescue is reminding residents that the open burn season has ended in the valley. As of Saturday, October 1st, there is no open burning allowed in the Lemon Creek and Mendenhall Valley areas. Fire Marshal Dan Jager spoke to that while on Action Line. The reason for that is because as we're getting into the wintertime, cooler temperatures, um, the open burns become nuisance where the, the smoke, instead of rising up and just kind of dissipating, it actually gets driven down towards the ground level, and um, and that could be a real problem with people with any kind of a health concern. Um, plus, a lot of people just don't like the odor or the the sight of the smoke itself. So, because of that, we we put a restriction on when open burning is allowed for yard debris and um, things like that. The area starts at Vanderbilt Hill Road and extends all the way to Fritz Cove Road. The burn ban areas are from basically Vanderbilt Hill Road to Fritz Cove Road. So everything in between there, um, there's no open burning allowed um, for the months of October 1st through April 30th. Uh, But everything outside of that, you can. You still need to have an open burn permit, which you can apply for in person at our fire station. And you still need to follow the requirements on those burn permits. But because of the locations, uh, there's usually better air movement, even in cold temperatures. So they're allowed to have open burning year-round. Open burning in these areas will be authorized May 1st, 2023. The nonprofit St. Vincent de Paul was a speaker at the Juno Chamber Luncheon. Executive Director Dave Ringel spoke. He talked about the housing units they operate. We have... 26 units of shelter housing. There are 13 family shelter rooms. There are 13 single uh, shelter rooms. It's for vulnerable singles. The average age is about 62. A senior should not be having to find a room at the Glory Hall. Uh, In addition to that, we have 76 housing units throughout Judah. You have to be low income to qualify. Most of the people start off at our shelter, and we work on finding a place for them. In the community, if the rental history is such they can't be rented to by any other landlord, uh, we're the landlord that rents to them. Our offices are in Smith Hall. Uh, that's 24 senior rooms. We have you have to be 62 and at 50, 30 to 50 percent of the annual mean income. That's uh, the only HUD-supported housing. They spend 30 percent of their income is goes to rent. The rest is theirs and spoke about changes they made to the hours at their thrift store in the valley. 
I keep hearing it's so hard to donate to our thrift store. Uh, it used to be that donations were Wednesdays and Saturdays at 10 o'clock, and the line was so long that businesses would complain about people unable to access the airport mall. We've changed that. Our donation hours start at 10 o'clock, Wednesday through Saturday. I would say that almost always, unless there's pers- uh, there's uh, people sick, almost always we will be open till noon. We might have to limit some articles, but if it's full one day, you can come back the next. We can't accept forever because we have to process it. If we've Dave Ringle of St. Vincent de Paul. Members of the Alaska Friends Conference apologized for the residential boarding school they operated in Juneau. The apology was given during an orange shirt rally event at Cy Gassineau Elementary School. Jan Bronson spoke first. We honor you. We honor your land. We hear you. We believe you. <laughs> and we are here expressing our our deep wishes for healing, for transformation, for truth, and we commit to not stop at truth, but to move into the, the reparations. Kathy Walling spoke to the schools they operated. The Religious Society of Friends ran about 30 residential boarding schools for Native youth throughout the U.S. and its territories. In Alaska, this included the Mission School in Douglas in Southeast Alaska, which was established in 1888 by Quaker missionaries sent by the Kansas Yearly Meeting of Friends. The Mission School was both a school and orphanage. 26 Alaska Native children were in residence there in 1893 and spoke to what the school's mission was. In participation with other churches and the government, the Religious Society of Friends ran schools. These schools sought to assimilate Alaska Native children and youth into white culture. These schools separated children from their birth culture and languages. Once fractured, these ties are difficult and sometimes impossible to mend. If Alaska state legislators remove constituents' comments or block them on social media, they may forfeit state-paid legal protection. A House Senate panel voted 8-3 to three in favor of adopting the new policy on behalf of the entire legislature. The legislature's existing social media policy dates from 2011. The revised guidance, which provides recommendations, says that lawmakers shouldn't use a personal account to talk about legislative matters. Explained by the Alaska Beacon, if a legislator does use social media, the policy calls for them to create an official account and instructs them to not open the account to comments or other interactions from the public. The policy states, if you choose to ignore the above guideline, then do not filter, delete, or hide any comments that do not block or ban any persons. If a legislature does that anyway, it states you personally assume all risk and responsibility for legal defense of that action. Representative Matt Clayman spoke about the policies. 
I'm going to support the policy because I see the policy one that does not prohibit legislators from choosing to have back and forth exchanges on social media platforms. It simply takes a policy position that means should a legislator choose to get involved in the back and forth and then run afoul of some of the some of the best practices or, or in terms of managing constituents or others that may appear on the platform in ways that, that become communication challenges uh, that the legislature is not going to be put in a position of always having to represent representatives who may or may not handle their social media properly. I, I don't really think it's my role. Senator Shelley Hughes spoke against the new policy, saying it amounts to inviting the public to a town hall meeting, then barring the door before people can enter. Senator Click Bishop voted in favor of the policy and said that it may be amended in the future. The Department of Public Safety has released the 2021 Crime in Alaska Report, its annual publication detailing crimes reported in Alaska, which reveals a 15.2% decrease in Alaska's overall crime rate. This also reflects, reflects the lowest number of reported offenses since 1975 and continues the downward trend in Alaska crime that started in 2018. Alaska's reported violent crime rate decreased by 9.7% last year. This included fewer instances of murder, robbery, rape, and aggravated assault. Alaska's property crime rate was decreased by 17.3% in 2021, and the total number of reported property offenses was at its lowest level since 1974. Under Alaska law, law enforcement agencies in Alaska are required to submit data to the state of Alaska. In 2021, 31 agencies reported crime data to the Department of Public Safety. These agencies represent 99.5% of the state's population. Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy signed an administrative order last week creating the Office of Energy Innovation to address the evolving energy needs of Alaska. The, Ener the Office of Energy Innovation will operate within the office of the governor. Governor Dunleavy spoke during a news conference. Alaska is an energy giant, but in all of its forms. So, you know, historically we've talked about oil and gas and to, uh, to an extent coal. But um, we have tremendous energy opportunities here in the state of Alaska including wind, solar, hydro, tidal, geothermal, micronuclear, and hydrogen, uh, and probably more to be discovered. So the Office of Energy Innovation will co coordinate this pursuit of energy that is sustainable, dependable, and affordable. Then Levy says the office will help encourage job creation. But what this will do is this will just keep growing those sectors um, and growing the energy, uh, the energy sources we're looking at transmission, so that's going to uh, employ a lot of folks. We're going to we're going to, we're going to do a uh, initiative this year and um, talk to the legislature about wiring the entire rail belt with um, upgraded transmission lines, so that we have uh, secure energy transmission as well as redundancy. We'll be able to unconstrain some of the energy sources, whether it's over by Valdez or down in Homer, um, all over the uh, rail belt uh, through this process. So the the jobs are going to just keep growing. Uh, in order to meet the demands for energy transmission, battery storage, uh, you name it. The order took effect Friday and will utilize existing personnel and resources within the office of the governor. Since the Alaska Community Foundation established the Western Alaska Dis Disaster Recovery Fund on the 17th of September, over 2,400 individuals, families, small businesses, local foundations, statewide associations, Alaska Native organizations, and corporate sponsors have contributed. To date, the fund has grown to over $1.25 million committed for both short-term and longer-term recovery efforts. 
To understand the conditions in the communities affected, the Alaska Community Foundation sought guidance from regional and community leaders from the affected areas. The goal was to disperse funds quickly. The foundation said a second round of funds will become available starting in early November to address further recovery efforts when the storm's repercussions are better understood. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.